Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Ishmael Kawaja. It's Wednesday the 31st of July. Coming up, Cathedral hits back after crazy golf controversy. Worship in the cathedral is completely unaffected by this. It continues on a daily basis. We have at least three services a day uh, and that's going to continue the whole time that the, uh, uh, that the golf is here. Nutritionists warning over more fast food restaurants. They're not going to be full of vegetables, are they? They're not going to be full of whole grains and good fats. They're going to be the poorer. They're just going to be really poor bulk nutrients that people can get a very, very cheap price. And teenager hoping to remove stigma around debilitating condition. I don't like to show my pain, so I, I would have easily been mistaken for perhaps being lazy and not being as productive. Kent Online News. We start today with a story that's hit the headlines nationally. Bosses at Rochester Cathedral have defended their decision to open a crazy golf course in the historic building. The nine-hole bridge-themed adventure course in the medieval nave was designed to encourage more people in to find out what goes on there. But some have branded it a serious mistake and born of desperation. Joe's been chatting to Reverend Matthew Rushton from the cathedral, who says they were challenged by the Archbishop to have more fun. About a year ago, we had a um, a conference for all the cathedrals um, in England, in Manchester, and the Archbishop of Canterbury challenged us and said, uh, um, you've got to have fun in cathedrals. And so partly it's about that, it's having a bit of fun in cathedrals and trying to get more people to come in, perhaps people who haven't been here before, to uh, experience this wonderful sacred space. Uh, But there's a serious educational project behind this. It's a joint project with the Rochester Bridge Trust and it's about getting young people with their families engaged in engineering and bridge building. Each of the holes has a representation of an architecturally accurate bridge uh, and it's trying to get people learning through play and we're more than happy to support that. Building bridges is a theme that's that's very important in our society at the moment and the the cathedral is 100% behind it. For today there seems to be a lot of people in the background enjoying having fun. Uh, Tell me what is that feeling like seeing it being so successful at the moment? well, it's great that it's a success and the whole point was to try and get people to come in but actually this is just an example of, of, of how cathedrals are thriving at the moment and you look at things that are going on up and down the country at the moment you know it's not just here that we're doing things like this um, there's a there's huge models of the moon and the earth in cathedrals there's, there's a helter skelter there's animatronic dinosaurs there's there's all sorts of things and that's because cathedrals are really confident at the moment they've got increasing numbers of visitors increasing numbers of worshippers and we're confident in sharing our faith and confident um, enough to be able to uh, do this sort of innovation and have these sorts of events so it's brilliant that, it, that it's been such a success and I hope it will continue to be the whole way uh, whole way through August. And you've mentioned the uh, connection with the Rochester Bridge Trust. I've taken a look at some of the uh, some of the themed courses there. Tell me, how important is it that uh, you're connecting with a, a local charity as well, a local trust here in Medway? Absolutely. We have a long-standing uh, um, relationship with the Rochester Bridge Trust, and actually, our relationship to engineering and the bridge goes back right to the beginning of uh, uh, of this cathedral being founded. Uh, there's always been, you know, the cathedral, the bridge, and the castle in Rochester. It's it's one of those sort of three pillars of, of the local community um, and we, we have a, a personal connection in Bishop Gundolf who was the first Norman uh, Bishop uh, of the Cathedral here and he rebuilt the Norman Cathedral here and he also built the White Tower um, in uh, the, White, uh, the White Tower at the Tower of London and he founded the Royal Engineers Corps uh, and we still have a connection with the Royal Engineers as well so yes it's really important that, that we work with our stakeholders it's 
great that we're making connections um, with, with the civic life in, in Medway and we'll continue to do that. And we have to remember that this is in the nave of the cathedral. There's a whole load of cathedral up there behind you, uh, which is completely unaffected by this. And the nave has always been a place for people to meet uh, a public space where the secular and the sacred interact. Worship in the cathedral is completely unaffected by this. It continues on a daily basis. We have at least three services a day, uh, and that's going to continue the whole time that the, uh, uh, that the golf is here. And people can come to the cathedral. They might want to play a round of golf, but they could light a candle. Um, they can find a quiet space. They can pray. They can talk to a chaplain, or they, come to, they can come to a service. And it's brilliant that we can do all these things together in this kind of building, and it just shows, as I say, how confident cathedrals are at the moment. The Telegraph had uh, made a, uh, an opinion piece uh, calling on the the controversy, I guess it could be called, behind this exhibition. Some people saying that a place of worship like this uh, shouldn't really be used in such a jovial manner, I guess. But what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with having fun, but I mean, actually, in many ways, this is in one part of the cathedral. This is the nave of the cathedral. It's always been public space. It's always been that, that kind of place of meeting, of interaction between civic uh, and sacred. And so I, I don't think there's any problem with doing that. Uh, the other thing is this really isn't that controversial. I mean, in September, we're going to be, after the golf has gone, we're, we're going to be hosting the Knife Angel, um, which is a 27-foot high sculpture made of knives that have been surrendered to the police. And that's been going around the country um, and it's raising awareness of the issues of knife crime and youth violence. And I think I'd say if people are going to get outraged, get outraged about issues like that. You can see our video report and vote in our poll online. Kent Online reports. It's been revealed the Jeremy Carl show used Facebook ads to target people who wanted personal issues resolving. ITV's chief execs written to a group of MPs led by Kent's Damien Collins who are investigating reality TV. Dame Caroline McCall confirmed some so-called calls to action were aimed at those looking to take a lie detector or DNA test. She says they were always told their accuracy couldn't be guaranteed. New figures show the number of anti-Semitic hate crimes in Kent has been steadily rising for the past four years. Since 2015, 56 offences against Jewish people have been recorded by police in the county and 22 of them were in the year to January. Kent's Crime Commissioner Matthew Scott says it shows more victims are feeling confident enough to report it. A Kent nutritionist has raised concerns about the number of fast food restaurants being built, especially near schools. It comes as more than half a dozen big brands have either opened or plan to open in the county this year. Currently, there are nearly 40 McDonald's, more than 30 KFCs and 10 Burger Kings. Rebecca has been chatting to Julie Clark, a food expert from Whitstable. The biggest problem with having more fast food places available is that you're more likely to go to them, aren't you? Because think you, you tend to eat the wrong things or you're more susceptible to it if you can just walk down the road and get there. So it's a bit like keeping chocolate in your house. If you keep chocolate in your house, you're going to eat chocolate, aren't you? If it's not there, then you'll find an alternative or you just won't have it. So that's probably the biggest issue I have with those sort of places is that there's so many, it makes it too easy for us to go 
eat the wrong thing, yeah. So if you can outline just the sort of basic problem, the main problems that um, eating lots of fast food can, can cause. So they typically will be high in fat, salts and sugars, and they will be low in anything that we would class as nutritious. So there you tend to, when we're thinking about places like McDonald's or KFC or something, they're not going to be full of vegetables, are they? They're not going to be full of whole grains and good fats. They're going to be the poorer. um, They're just going to be really poor bulk nutrients that people can get at a very, very cheap price. And do you think it's okay to have fast food sometimes as a nutritionist? Because you're obviously quite aware about how bad these sort of foods can be. Do do you yourself ever ever have some fast food? I'm not like I'm somebody that lives in the real world, and I do have things that I like. Like I will eat chocolate. Um, I like a glass of wine. But personally, I've not been in a fast food restaurant in over twenty years. I have two children. One is ten, and the other one is seven, and they've never been to a fast food restaurant. And the reason why it's not the um, you know, I want to be really militant and not allow my children to go. It's, they just don't serve the types of foods that we like and eat. So for me, um, I think there is a place for it. But I think too many people eat too much of it on a, too, you know, on a regular basis because it is so readily available and it's so cheap and convenient, right? So you can drive through. You don't even have to get out your car, you know. <laughs> Do you think, just in your opinion, um, as a society, do you think we should have some sort of constraints on the number of fast food restaurants that are uh, allowed to be built? I think I have a bit of an issue with them when they're so close to schools, especially the secondary schools, because as a parent with a child that will be going to secondary school, like I've got to choose a school this year, I know that I'm going to lose that parental control a bit. And if you've got, again, if you've got children, teenage kids with a fast food restaurant on their way to school, outside their school that they can get to in uh, lunchtime, where do we think they're going to end up? They're going to go have the fast food, aren't they? So I have an issue with where they're placed um, and the fact that there are so many of them. So probably to answer your question, I think there should be a limit on, on the number or there should be at least a balance between the availability of fast food versus things that are more healthy. And, and what do you think will happen if we carry on increasing the number of fast food restaurants? Do you think it's kind of quite a scary thought of what could happen in terms of kind of, you know, general health and obesity? Yeah, we know we've got a big obesity uh, problem. We know that we've got a, di- a diabetes epidemic. Um, we know that the things are not looking good. So as someone who works in this field all the time, I find it incredibly frightening. And when I talk to other people that work in the same field as me, especially with children, we're all very, very concerned about it, to be honest. And and um, so do you get a lot in the work that you're in? Do you get a lot of people coming to you who are quite addicted to, to fast food and want to stop? No, I'll tell you why. Because those are the people that don't recognise that they need the help necessarily. So... Um, no, is the, is the, is the simple answer to that is, is, is no. I tend to get people that will have digestive problems or they just want to lose weight or they feel tired all the time. And then when I look at their diet, maybe there is an aspect of normally convenience food and things, but I can't say that I've ever had somebody that will come and say, I'm completely addicted to fast food. Kent Online News. 
A Canterbury man who threatened a car wash boss with a knife after being turned down for a job has been sent to prison. The 21-year-old had tried to claim he was actually brandishing a selfie stick in self-defence when it happened at the Hurston car wash in February. He's been locked up for two years. Health bosses have apologised after three people at a Kent A&E department had to share an IV drip stand. On our website, you can see a picture of the tubes all hooked up to the same one at Ashford's William Harvey Hospital. One woman who was sharing it says it's unacceptable and gave them no privacy or dignity. The hospital say they've ordered more stands in case they run out again. A man's been arrested by armed police who were called to a park in East Morling following reports of someone with a rifle. The helicopter was also sent to the recreation field off New Road last night. Officers seized an air weapon. A 20-year-old is being held on suspicion of firearms offences. A Kent teenager who quit her job after struggling with a debilitating condition is hoping to remove the stigma around it. Paige Rabbits from Hearn Bay was diagnosed with fibromyalgia last November after two years of feeling extreme tiredness and muscle stiffness. The 18-year-old is now trying to raise awareness of the condition, which has no cure, and has set up a group for others living with it. She says her family didn't understand until doctors realised what was wrong. I spoke to Paige earlier. Personally, the worst ones for me is memory problems, so fibrofog, that's what we call it. Um, achy joints, um, uh, they're usually made worse from uh, activities that use your muscles, like walking upstairs, taking long walks. Even when you're not doing any activity, you, you get constant pain. This can cause you to not sleep very well. Um, because you're constantly having to move your legs, get in a comfortable position, which you never really get to. Um, so that causes insomnia, and you get tired, and that causes you not to be able to think properly the next day, which then, in effect, causes the fibro fog. My family, that it was quite hard to understand because you get flare-ups. So some, so one week it could be really bad, and you're finding it really hard to even move around. And... Um, my family, uh, they could mistake you from being a little bit lazy um, because they can't be in your shoes and because it's an invisible illness. People won't give you the empathy that you could possibly expect from an illness, a uh, disability that's actually visible. And so now you're trying to raise awareness of fibromyalgia and you've set up a group, <laughs> is that right, to try and do that? I set up the group. I think just less than a month ago, and it's already got quite popular. Um, uh, like I said, my, my family, I decided to... The first meeting was at my house, and thinking of myself, I thought maybe uh, my mum could get involved in the meeting because she has chronic pain as well, but it's not fibro. And she really, she, um, she joined in and she understood, and it just comes to show that talking about it there was about 10 people at the meeting just talking about it uh face to face can really make other people understand because they can physically see that my mum saw that those people who came actually share a lot in common of the condition than i do and she's slowly starting to understand and i just think everyone needs that sort of view we talk about everything like how, how people deal with it so artwork so some of us we talk about painting because I, I I do oil paintings um, on my uh, low days when I can't do much and that's quite doesn't really use much physical activity. 
and it settles the mind. Um, but other people make jewellery, um, others just take short walks, they go out with their dogs for company. Um, so many people do it in many ways and they say, they talk about their diets and how their diets changed. From the group I've changed my diet to a, a, a paleo diet and that's worked excellently so far. Do you feel, because obviously as you said that people didn't fully understand what was going on until you were diagnosed, but do you feel there's a big stigma around the condition? Yeah, definitely. A lot of people can look at you and see that you don't do as much phys physical activity as the average person does. And me personally, I don't like to show my pain. So I, uh, I, I would have easily been mistaken for perhaps being lazy and not being as productive. Um, but that's the same for everyone else. And a, a lot of people can, a lot of people have looked down on you, especially because I'm 18. They don't expect me to have a condition like this. Kent Online reports. Police investigating a crash near Ellsford which killed a motorcyclist are making another appeal for information two months after it happened. Two cars and a motorbike were involved in the collision at the entrance to Cobtree Manor Park on Frostall Road at the end of May. A man in his 70s died in hospital just over two weeks later. Officers are still trying to work out what happened and want anyone who saw it to contact them. Plans to upgrade the Stockbury roundabout junction off the M2 have been formally submitted to the government for funding. A new group called Transport for the South East have come up with a list of the top 10 projects that would cut congestion and support economic growth in the region. Improving the A249 leading to Maidstone and Sittingbourne is one of them, along with a stretch of the A28 in Thanet. One of Kent's Disney stores is closing its doors for the final time today. The shop in the Whitefriars Shopping Centre in Canterbury opened less than a year ago. It was only ever meant to be temporary and was first expected to close last Christmas. Kent Online Sport. Cricket and Kent's Joe Denley admits the chance to play in an Ashes series was one he never thought he'd get. The batsman will play against Australia for the first time in Thursday's Test match at Edgbaston. After only making his debut last summer, Denley says it's a dream come true. You know, I think I learnt from when I previously played for England about everything being about trying to play for England again and put too much pressure on myself. And it's certainly not something that I've been focused on uh, recently, um, getting back in England or playing in an Ashes series. Um, for me, it was just about enjoying my cricket, trying to score lots of runs for Kent and, and see where that takes me. And fortunately, it, it brings me here and... Um, yeah, it's a pretty cool place to be. When I um, put all that pressure on myself to try and get England the England side, I tried changing technically my batting, fiddled with my grip, um, was worrying about where my feet were and all the little things that us batters do sometimes and to get ourselves out of nick horribly. Um, but it was really just a case of going back to basics and, and, and doing what I'd previously worked. Um, and... Yeah, I think that's um, been quite beneficial to me over the last couple of years. Rory Burns and Jason Roy will open the batting with Joe Denley dropping to number four. Staying with cricket and Kent have continued their 100% record in this season's T20 blast after beating Surrey. 
The rain meant they could only play seven overs each at the Oval last night. The Spitfires beat Surrey's targets of 55, mostly thanks to Mohamed Nabi, who scored 43 of Kent's runs. Cameron caught up with head coach Matt Walker after their victory. You don't often get that, those yeah. sort of games. Um, seen a few over the years where yeah. they've been sort of 10 over, 5 over games. Um, they're not they're not that frequent, obviously. Yeah. Um, it can be a little bit of a lottery. It can be a bit of a lottery sometimes. It's a, you know, one over can change a game so dramatically in short, short games like that. But no, I thought we were outstanding with the ball. I think I know Nabi will sort of grab the headlines with that explosive yeah. innings at the end. But, um, you know, he created 17 dots in that yeah. in that bowling display, which is is incredible stat really in a seven over game. So the bowlers really did the work there. Um, but with great pace, me on and and, and, and Vier, again, hard to hit those sort of guys. And um, that was the setup really. Those t- those the bowlers and how he fielded, and then obviously Nabi coming in and doing what he did was was what you. Yeah what you hope for with yeah. big players like that. I know, obviously, Finch tried it and didn't quite get the momentum, but they're dangerous players, and when they get going like that and they find them in the bat a few times, it's very hard to stop. Um, it's very experienced in that sort of format. Actually, played a, lot, played a number of T10 games and um, just saw a glimpse of what a world-class player he is and unstoppable when he's in that sort of mood. Yeah, That's what I was going to say. Did, did you see the best of what Mahomet Nambi is going to bring Kent in terms of that big hitting and, and with the ball as well? He performed the ball. I think he's a master with the ball. Yeah. And I think people will watch his, watch his hard hitting and enjoy that. Of course, it's the it's exciting bit of T20 cricket when the ball sails out the park. And he can do that. And that's why he's such a valuable player for us because yeah. he's got both strings to his bow. And, and the spell, a couple of spells he's bowled already have been you know, just a joy to watch. Being able to skill to take pace off in T20, it's not a usual thing for T20 spin bowlers these days. They usually bowl quicker and quicker. He's actually clever enough and skillful enough to take pace off, and he seems always one step ahead of the, the batsman. But that explosive with the bat, we've seen it. You know, he's played in IPL, Big Bash, and he's had success in those yeah. competitions. And it's no surprise that he's going to come to the party um, for us at some stage. And we got a glimpse of it at Canterbury in that first game, and. And certainly more of a glimpse of it tonight. It's only 12 balls, yeah. two overs effectively, but I mean, wow, that's all that's needed really. Yeah. And players like that can win you T20 games in, in the space of two or three overs if they get going. And um, that was, uh, I think, very exciting for everyone to watch. Yeah. Did you think across the four games you've seen enough to think that you've got all the ingredients to, to go far in this competition, bowling and batting as well? What's happening is people are standing up and putting in match-winning performances. We yeah. talk a lot about it in dressing room. Someone going to be the match winner. We've got match winners throughout this team. Um, next week it might be somebody else. Next game it might be somebody else. But we've got a squad yeah. of, of some, some real quality in the bowling front. But look, it's a long competition. That's all I would say. And we've right, got off to a good start, but you know things can things can change yeah. if you're not careful. We've got to make sure we're humble and stay feet on the ground and move on to the next one and do the. Exactly the same things we've been doing since the start of the comp. They're still top of the South group with four wins from four. The next game is against Middlesex at Lords. And the Gillingham Football Club chairman is trying to trace a man who turned up and donated an envelope filled with cash. Paul Scally says he wants to thank the person who gave them £600, along with a note telling them to buy two season tickets and give them to whoever they felt should have them. That's it for now, but for more news throughout the day, you can head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.